0: The family of Gert Rizzoli, they had a special request. They wrote that she was so devoted to her spot in the Featherside Congregational Church that when she passed away last month, that her family, uh, they asked permission to cast her body in bronze and set it in her favorite spot on the pew. The consternation of some church members, her body is now permanently located in the aisle seat she occupied every Sunday for 40 years. Her daughter, Sophia, said she loved gazing at the preacher from that spot, being the first in her row to receive communion and having quick access to the bathroom. It gave her a deep sense of spiritual comfort. A fellow churchgoers also remember Gert's still response to anyone who tried to take her place. One man was shooed away, away by Gerd on several occasions when he arrived early and inadvertently took her spot. Now that bronze statue serves as an irritating reminder of the encounter. It's like she's still there defending her seat, he said. A family friend said she was like a, a Christ-like lady except when it came to giving up that spot. She had a real sense of her turf. To her, it was like the Israelites. Once you get land, you don't give it up. Now, before you get your phone out and start looking in your search engine, that's a satire, fictional account, but satire is often written because it has an element of truth. That happens sometimes, but I would say to you, there's not a problem with being in church every Sunday. The Bible tells us to forsake not the assembly. It's important for us to come worship together. It's important for us to talk about the Bible together. That was, that's a great thing. And it also, is not so bad to sit in the same place every Sunday that you come to church. That's not such a bad thing. But our mistake lies in sometimes thinking that, that we come here and do church. That church is located in a physical location. That church is... Something we come to do on Sunday morning and and then we don't think about the rest of the week. Church, as you see in the Bible, is not like a a sporting event that's held every Sunday. It's not something we are meant to come to and and be a spectator involved in maybe serving a little bit on Sunday. No, what the Bible says is the church is a living, breathing organism. It's made up of people. And, and we've come to our study here in 1 Peter, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. In these verses, I think you can basically subtitle them Church 101. These verses teach us about who Jesus is. And they teach us about who we are to be. They teach us what we are to be as the church I would suggest to you that church is not what we do here church is what we do when we leave here so let's look at that together we're gonna to ask those two questions and answer them from this passage first who is Jesus according to 1st Peter 2 4 through 10 who is Jesus the first thing I think this teaches us is to the world he is a stumbling block. To the world, he is the stumbling stone. Verses 7 and 8. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. It indicates you believe or you don't believe. There is a choice. You really can't sit on the fence. You either believe or you don't believe. If you believe this stone, and he's referring to Jesus. We'll look at the preceding verses in a few moments. You choose. You choose. Is this stone going to be precious or not? Is this stone going to be something I accept or not? But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That gives us the understanding, verse 8, of the deciding factor. It is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Friends, sometimes we want to uh, talk about all the ins and outs of, of making a decision that's pleasing to God, of, of becoming a person of faith. Or, but listen, the, the, this question is simple. The Bible teaches us about, in the Old Testament, a coming Messiah, the Son of God, who will come and experience life on earth who will lay down his life as a sacrifice for those people who have rebelled against God or who aren't doing, are living their lives God's way, and then people will have that choice. If they believe, and it's God's wish that everybody believe, John three sixteen. he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to have to suffer the punishment for their sins, their disobedience against God. But if, some will choose not to accept him. Some will, for them, Jesus will become a stomach. So now, let's define some words. The world, as we're talking here, doesn't mean that, that something God doesn't like. That same verse, John 3, 16, it talks about the world. <clears throat> the world in the scripture is, it's referring to here the people that don't believe. The people that choose to reject. Whenever you hear a message about uh, sales, whenever you talk to somebody and you're thinking about buying something, they give you a sales message. They, they tell you the benefits, they tell you the low cost, and you choose to accept or reject. Similarly, in the Bible, it tells us that there are two ways of living. There's a way to live by self-interest. There's a way to live where we do what we want to do, or there's a way to live That pleases God there's a way to live that makes the decisions that God would want us to make there's a way to live that gives us a life that's pleasing to God it starts as we choose to accept Jesus Christ but then it's an ongoing life that we live to be who God made us to be we accept or reject the stone now people reject the stone for a couple of different reasons, I think. Maybe one is because it's not really philosophical, theological in nature. It's because we really don't want to change our lifestyle. The problem and the the real uh, big problem with sin is that it's fun in the short term. It feels good to us. Maybe to drink too much and enjoy the party, but it doesn't last, does it? It feels good to watch that thing we shouldn't watch maybe until we come down or up from that experience. See, the the thing the Bible teaches us is that these truths about Jesus call for us to change our lifestyle. And I would say to you uh, that ultimately those choice that choice we make to please God by following Jesus, that choice we make To instead of us being in control of our life, to let Jesus be our Lord, to let Jesus be the one who controls our life, who we live to please. The truth of the matter is, if we choose Jesus, he ultimately will give us a life that's better for us, that's better for those we love around us. But so oftentimes, it's hard to see past that. Now, some people reject Jesus because of the theological message. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's hard for people to hear. It's hard for people to understand. But it is consistently taught. It's consistently the true word of God. I've told you before, I'll tell you again. I think there's a lot of evidence that Jesus was the promised son of God. I think there's a lot of evidence for Jesus being not just a great teacher, not just a great man, but being God who came in the form of a man. Lots of evidence there. I very much think you can have a brain and accept the gospel message. But we all need to choose. Is he going to be a stone we build our life on? Or perhaps one that we reject? This says that the world rejected him. It became, he became a stumbling stone for some. I ask you today what do you believe about Jesus? We need to answer that question. I don't think we can sit on the fence. I don't believe we want to be in that place where we are neutral. Because the Bible says those who are lukewarm are not pleasing to God in the least. We need to choose what we know, what we do about Jesus. The second thing this teaches us about that question, the answer to that question is, to God, he is the chosen stone. To God, he is the chosen stone. Verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> Not there. <laughs> uh, verses 4 through 6 read like this. As, to you, as you come to him, the living stone. That's the name Peter gives for Jesus here, the living stone. Now, those, those don't seem to go together, do they? A living stone. There's nothing more dead to me usually as I look at things from as a stone it just sits there the living stone uh, rejected by human beings but chosen by God and precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for in scripture it says see I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Good words. That's the heart of his teaching here about who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? To God, he is precious. You notice that was in a couple of descriptors there. In verse 7, it'll be there again. Jesus is precious. If you know the Lord of the Ring novels and movies, you know the Gollum has a precious too, right? My precious, it refers to the, the ring of the Lord of the Rings. And what does precious mean? It means greatly valued. It, it means something that you want to, to hold on to, something that, that makes a difference. Jesus uh, must have been hard for him to leave God for a time to come here uh, to fulfill his mission as a Messiah. God, because he loved Jesus, chose him not only to come and live here, but he also, the Bible tells us, sits now at the right hand of God. He didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected, and he lives right now. To God, he is the chosen stone for us again. We choose. To me, if Jesus is precious to us, It means that we want to please him. It means that we want to value him. It means that we want to to do what he wants us to do. Charles Sheldon wrote a book back at the turn of the 19th century, or excuse me, 20th century, called In His Steps. In it, he imagined going through life asking the question, the simple question, as you made choices each and every day, what would Jesus do? As you went into your relationship as a husband or wife, as a father or mother, as a son or a daughter, a grandfather or grandmother, if, as you went about your life asking yourself, what would Jesus do? To God, he is chosen and precious. As we choose to accept him, I think it's not just uh, intellectual assent. It is saying, God, I want you to help me uh, th- to be a man or woman that pleases you. I want Jesus to be precious to me, that I want to please him. Just as God has Jesus the chosen stone, we choose each and every day by whom and in whom we're going to live. The third answer to who is Jesus in this passage is to believers, he is the cornerstone. To believers, he is the cornerstone. When I say believers... That is, if you you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you are a Christian, then we must build our life on the cornerstone. We must find our foundation in the cornerstone. In in the Gospels, uh, Jesus taught that, uh, that He is the solid rock. All of the ground is sinking sand. When the trials and troubles of life come, we figure out, what we really believe. We figure out in whom we really stand. In those trials and troubles of life, the only one who can stand is Jesus. And so he becomes the cornerstone for the church. Look what it says here, verses 6 and 7. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. Uh, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If you've ever built anything, you know the importance of a cornerstone. The cornerstone is that initial one you build into the, the uh, foundation upon which everything else is measured, everything else is laid in relation. If it's not straight, if it's not even, The whole building is in peril. In architectural terms, this cornerstone absolutely has to be right for the building to be true. So also it says here that Jesus, he becomes our compass. He becomes our way to understand and, and to make our choices in living. He becomes the way that we learn who we should be. I wonder if you remember, as we asked the second question, who are we? What this scripture says we are to be. If we want to figure out who we are to be as a church and who we are to be as individual members of the church, then Peter has some advice for us, some answers for us as well. The second question we ask today is who are we? The first answer this passage gives us is we are living stones. We are living stones. Again, it seems to be an oxymoron. How can living, uh, stones be living? But it's exactly the metaphor he gives us here. Verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ what this says to us is this building we have here today is not the church the church is not a physical location the church is made up of people who become as the new testament teaches us individual temples of god from the old testament to the new there's a shift in the old testament God was seen to dwell in the temple, a a physical building in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. But in the New Testament, it tells us that now God's spirit comes to live. As we believe, God indwells us with his spirit. His spirit comes to live in us. We're living temples. We're living stones. And in these living stones, God wants to grow us. He wants to change us. Now, I must tell you, if you've ever seen stonework done, you know there's some uh, painful lessons here. My family hails from a region of northeast Georgia called, uh, uh, the, the, the center of it's called Elberton. Elberton's known as the granite capital of the world, a place I always went at holidays. And there we were surrounded by granite monuments. Now granite, when it comes out of the ground, isn't very attractive. It's not shaped, it's a rock. It it doesn't fit nicely into anything. (coughs) It can't be used for much. But with the skilled hand of a craftsman, a, a stone mason or a granite mason, they can chip and mold that granite. They can make it into something beautiful and usable. Something that's aesthetically pleasing. But you must think if you were that granite, it's not easy to be chipped and molded. I will say to you, it's not easy in the Christian life for God to sometimes prune us and discipline us. To change us from being all about me to being all about others is not always easy. But the Bible tells us in numerous places that it's good for us. And here it's saying as living stones, God wants to to bring us and to shape us into a spiritual foundation he wants to take us and change us so that we can be a tremendous difference to others boy this is powerful it's profound if we really start getting it if you have ever seen a building being built you notice that as it grows they usually put up scaffolding around it right scaffolding to hold the workers as they work on the building well, the Bible tells us that God is building up the church. It's each one of us. Maybe you've spent some time out of Christ, like I have. There came in my li- a time in my life where I saw that the way I was going wasn't leading to happiness. It wasn't leading to fulfillment. The way I was going was bringing pain to those around me. My short-term selfish choices that brought me pleasure, were bringing pain to me and to others. And I chose to accept Jesus Christ. He then began this chipping and molding of making me a living stone. And and so as you take and make that choice yourself, he starts that process. But he's going to bring something beautiful to life. Something that's living and breathing. That's not restricted by physical location. It's not just when you're inside these walls that you are living stones. You're living stones as you go out into your workplace. You're living stones as you go to your houses. You're living stones as you go and interact with countless people each and every day and week. God has in place for you this purpose of, of being his living stones, of building up his building. In other words, we perhaps <laughs> are some of the scaffolding for God's building. While he's building it up, we're, we're continuing to expand it. But there will come a time when the scaffolding comes down. The Bible tells us that at a certain point of time, it could be close, that God will say it is time to change things. At that time, the choice of Jesus Christ herself will be no more. The Bible tells us the trumpet will blow with a loud shout. The archangel will announce the coming back of Jesus. The second coming. When that happens his building will be complete. It's for us to to reach and to touch as many people as we can. It's for us to be those living stones as we can. Think about that. If we Got this. If we accepted our role as a living stone for Him, every Bible class would be a quarry for living stones. Every children's worker would say, I have living stones all around me to polish and to smooth them and to make more uh, living stones for Him until every child finds his or her place in God's living temple. Every worship service would be a time of suspense. As we wait to see what God is doing to add more living stones in his temple. Every missionary would be a stonemason sent to the ends of the earth in search of living stones for God's temple. Friends, I have a sense of urgency about sharing the message. Yes, not everybody's going to listen. But I have an urgency to speak and to touch as many people as I can. And I would say to you, it's not all about talking. It's about the way we live. The way you live as God's molding and shaping you has an influence on others. It can be positive, or it can be the same old, same old, or it can be negative. The question is, what is your impact? Do you know the Bible says the second part of this answer is we are to be a holy and royal priesthood? We are to be a holy and royal priesthood. I bet you didn't think when you came to church today, I'm going to the gathering of priests. Maybe you didn't think as you went to work last week, I'm going as a priest of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what this passage teaches us. Verse 5, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house uh, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Did you hear that? We all are priests. In the Old Testament, the priests came out of the tribe of Levi, and their main job was to, to carry out the system of animal sacrifice. Uh, before the coming of Jesus, which heralded the New Testament, uh, when you sinned, you went to the priest and you brought an animal to him, a goat or a bird or something, and you you gave that animal to the priest and the priest would kill it and then use the blood of that animal, uh, sprinkle it to to forgive you of your sins. And then the next Saturday, you do the same thing. In this understanding I think you, you want to see that no longer did God, as he took the Old Testament into the New, in the Old Testament, they had a priesthood. In the New Testament, we become the priesthood. That's what it says here. No longer do we have to go through a priest to God. No longer do we have to go through a priest to confess our sins. No longer do we have to go to a priest to pray to God. We each become priests. You don't have to go to a seminary to be a priest. Uh, you don't have to go to Bible college to be a priest. You, you become responsible for your relationship with God. Now, we still have ministers that are set aside to help equip and to teach us. But, but each one of us become priests on our own. And, and that means that we have each a service or ministry to carry out. God gives us differently, he gives us different gifts to serve others, but we each have that capacity, we each bring our own sacrifices to him. John MacArthur, as he talked about this passage, says he has at least seven ways that we can bring our sacrifices to God. We can sacrifice our bodies, that is, make choices that please God with our bodies. We can sacrifice our praise, we can sacrifice our good works. We can sacrifice our generous giving. We can sacrifice our converts or bring them to him. We can sacrifice our love. And yes, we can sacrifice our prayers. We can lift them up to him. We can give him our time. We can give him our energy. We can give him our ministry. And so he calls us to do that. The meaning of priest, you see here is comes in uh, understanding of the Latin word pontifex. Pontifex means to make a bridge. The third part of this answer of who are we, we are his bridge builders. If you want to get an understanding of that word priest, you can supplement or you can substitute a bridge builder. In the Old Testament, the priest served as the bridge to God. As we each become priests, as we each become able to have our own relationship with God, we become a bridge to God. But even more, here this passage gives us clearly this understanding that we are to reach out and touch others. We are to help others who are in the dark to make and cross that bridge into the light. We help others who are not close to Jesus, who haven't chosen to follow him. We're to help By our actions, what we show them, by what we say to them, we're to help them cross the bridge into the light. Verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise, call him out of the darkness into the wonderful light. You praise the excellencies of him. It's the way that we live, both inside and outside of the church. Last week, I was able to walk around during the second service, and it was so good to see so many folks volunteering, working with our kids, the elementary kids, the preschool kids, junior high, senior high. It's so encouraging. It' so helped me to see that God's doing something good here, but we are not done. Until Jesus comes back, we are nowhere near finished. Each one of us have a role to play as His priest in His kingdom. Maybe He's calling you to volunteer within the church in some capacity. Maybe He's calling you to touch that coworker, to minister to that family member, to represent the love of Jesus Christ, to convey with your actions and your words, with your lifestyle, who Jesus is. You either choose to accept him or reject him. That's everybody's fate. We can help, I think, as we have accepted him. We can help as we minister for him, to bring others into the temple, to bring others to be living stones with our foundation and the cornerstone, the living stone, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this time to share together. I pray that you've touched us, you've convicted us today, you've helped us to see applications in this message pray, Lord, that we would give our whole heart to you. We wouldn't hold back. I pray that we'd embrace our priesthood. I pray that we would be living stones, full of your love and your grace, your mercy, in the way we live and the way we speak. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.